Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, June 11, 2019. Today we're reading from the big book. We're in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, and we're on page 32, the first paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Alice G., for the 12 traditions, Esther F., and reading the text are Becca R. and Lisa B. The reference numbers for Monday, June 10th, 2019, for 7 a.m. is 13,015, that's 13015, and for the 10 a.m. is 13,017, that's 13017. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At the Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Alice G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, all. This is Alice G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Wisconsin, the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to serve. Have a great day. Thank you, Alice. Okay, I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me serve, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers, it's six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 32, the first paragraph, though there's no way of proving it, um, and just reading that one paragraph. And so I will ask Becca R. to begin reading. Good morning, everybody. This is Becca R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Kentucky. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. Hi, this is Don. I live in Worcester, Massachusetts. Real nice guy here. I'm a top. Okay, excuse me. Excuse me. Go ahead, please, Becca. <laughs> um, yes, so... Serious on meeting. 
uh, if you can travel. Okay, so here's my share. Um, this really hit me because I can look in early in my eating career uh, and see that there were periods when I could take it or leave it. Um, that the food, the ingredients, the volume wasn't um, the same trigger as it was for me here. And what I like to remember when reading this is that I've crossed that threshold, I've crossed that invisible line, and I have tried for years to go back to that controlled eating, and it has never been successful for me. And as a recovered woman today, I have to remember that to go back, it would be like an alcoholic going back to the drink. Um, I, I do feel like I would pick up right where I had left off. I have heard so many others share their story in relapse. And um, I'm just an all or nothing kind of gal. I can just see myself throwing my hands in the air and saying, How, well, if I'm going to do this, let's go all in. Um, I can also think of um, just the disease manifesting so early in my life. When I would tell my AA story, I would always talk about being a five-year-old girl and my first episode with stealing. And um, when I came into OA, it wasn't until I did that that I realized that that episode of stealing when I was a five-year-old girl was I stole a dollar so that I could go and buy something from the little store across the street. And it was it was sugar and fat. And um, it was no surprise to me. So I look forward to hearing all the other shares. Thank you. Thank you so much, Becca. And now um, what we would like is if you haven't shared in the last few days, if you would like to share on this one paragraph on page 32, uh, please give me your first name and your last initial. Donna G. Donna G. Nancy P. Nancy P. Priscilla H., but I go by Pris with a P. Pris H., thank you. Leah S. Laura H. Laura H. Okay, well, let's go with those five, Donna G., Nancy P., Pris H., Leah S., and Laura H. Go ahead, please, Donna. Hi, this is Donna G., uh, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. And, um, yeah, I've, I've never shared on this line as the first one, but as soon as I heard the reading today, I, oh, my this is my story. This is me. So um, I do still go to an in-person OA meeting, and we are getting ready to celebrate our birthday, and we are going to each share what brought us to OA, or, um, you know, very briefly what brought us to OA. 
And I've been thinking about that. I've had my mind on that. Um, wow, what brought me to OA? And there are many things, and I won't go into all of them, but one of the biggest things that brought me to OA is just what this reading is talking about, and that is, um, yeah, I thought I could stop, and I was able to stop my compulsive overeating on my own. Um, I was scared straight when I found out I had a disease that definitely, not only just in my head, oh my, I have a disease, but I was actually feeling the effects of on a daily basis to the point um, after some time that I felt every single night I went to bed that I would die in my sleep, um, that I wouldn't wake up. And so I would start going through my head at night, well, uh, what's it going to be like for them in the morning when they find me dead? And that, and this is, this is, this is how I live. Um, I had been to a pay-in-way for about two years prior to um, hitting a brick wall. And when I hit the brick wall, my disease could not let me get through one day without um, going off off that program, um, binging. I mean, in, in a nutshell, binging. And um, so I just couldn't understand it. How could I do it for a long period of time, lose 65 pounds, and now I can't do it for a day? And, I mean, it was my disease. That's, that's why I couldn't do it. I am truly, and I actually came into the program at a hard time identifying because of that. It, it got in my way a little bit. Like, I don't understand. I lost a lot of weight before I came here. Um, wasn't anywhere near where I needed to be. But anyhow, I've been in program about se seven months. Um, I am very close to a healthy body weight now. And um, having lost uh, about 35, 40 pounds in this last seven months um, through working the steps and through following um, my food plan, through my higher power, that I always should say that first, um, helping me, guiding me. So if you're a newcomer um, and you identify with this reading today, um, just take hope, stick in there, hang in there. Um, you will figure out um, whether you identify in or not, um, but it doesn't have anything to do, in my opinion, Time, with whether please. you were... Yes, whether you were able to control before or not, I was able to do that, and yet I'm still a compulsive overeater. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Donna. Okay, Nancy P., you're up, followed by Chris H. Hi, thanks for letting me share. Nancy P., calling from Boston. Um, yeah, this whole paragraph is, <laughs> you know, although there was no way of proving it, you know, this is about control. So people that are an alcoholics don't need to stop or control because they were never out of control. I was born out of control around food. And, um, you know, no amount of, you know, you know, bubble gum and scotch tape was going to fix that and, or change that in, in another way. You know, there was, I was always going to be out of control. And, you know, the things that I, you know, the things that I did to try to control it were the same as everybody else. And I, I remember once we came home from a bar mitzvah of some wealthy relatives, and um, they had a lot of food, of course. It would be a catastrophe. Hi, Daniel. This is John. Black hair, blue eyes. It would be a catastrophe if somebody was hungry coming home from a bar mitzvah, right? But um, my mother had packed up some pastries or something, and 
I remember uh, they were in the house and um, we were sitting at our dining room table and I thought, what is the problem? Why can't I stop? And I said, oh, I know what the problem is. It's swallowing the food. So I tried to just have it in my mouth without swallowing. And of course that didn't work. And, um, you know, I have to say that today I've given up control. I don't care. I don't worry about it. I don't, you know, I've surrendered. It's all about surrender. You know, once I surrendered, to this disease, you know, once I surrendered only to the fact that I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. Those are the only two things that I have to know 24 seven without fail. The other, once I did that, then I, you know, suddenly it was like cue the Handel music. The whole world opened up and, you know, birds started chirping and violins started playing and I was easily able to control my urges. But before I surrendered, it just wasn't gonna happen. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I had had some periods of success where I didn't have to hurt myself with food, but the sword of Damocles was always hovering over me. I mean, I always knew that it was short lived because I would think, you know, my suddenly my, my thinking would change and I'd think, oh, what a good idea. Um, you know, th that's alcoholic thinking. And, um, you know, my favorite thing when I sponsor people and I talk about this, I say that I know someone who um spoke you know an alcoholic who said that he had two friends in aa that um needed money to drink and their parents were away for the weekend so they sold the dining room furniture to get um, money to drink and that's what their parents came home to that's what i would have done you know anything to get eventually to get to get my drug of choice so um you know the whole idea of um you know, early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. I don't think I, I would have, if I could have, you know, I, because thank you, because, you know, it's all about control and I was born out of control. Thanks for letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Okay. Pris H followed by Leah F. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Pris H. I'm recovering. I'll never feel that I'll never be recovered. I'll always be recovering. Uh, from compulsive eating, and I could so relate to the previous share. I think that I was born a food addict, addicted to sugary things, uh, so that the first time something sugary came into my mouth, I was hooked. And I'm 82 now, getting close to 83, and um, that addiction is still present in my life. I've gone through periods of um, abstaining, being abstinent uh, from all binge foods, and I've gone through periods of relapse, both of them over and over again throughout my um, 31 years in OA. Um, I, did, I knew I had issues with food way back, well into childhood. I would steal sweet things, and the work... There was not much sweet stuff around in the 1940s um, in this country, but whatever there was, I would sneak it. I didn't think of it as stealing, but I would sneak it out of the kitchen and go hide in a corner of the backyard where a bush would hide my um, what I was doing, and I would eat and I would read, which was another escape once I learned to read. Once I learned to sneak food and learned to read, I could have moments of of peace, of being somewhere else, not in the real world. Um, 
thank higher power for OA and and the um, help that I've gotten both through the steps and through the tools, and I'm in two other programs as well. And um, I could go on and on, but I won't. I just want to say thank you. I've just started coming to this meeting realizing that I need more than the one face-to-face meeting I'm able to get to where I now live. Uh, Higher power has changed my life. Higher power is still working on me uh, regarding my food addiction. So thanks for letting me share, and I will mute. Thank you so much, Pris. Okay, Leah S., you're up, followed by Laura H. Thank you so much um, for your service. My name is Leah S. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Brooklyn. Uh, Desire. What is desire? Desire means I want very, very badly. I promise with my utmost entirely. And then I need to do a total surrender. And the total surrender means becoming absolutely honest when I'm alone and nobody sees or when I wake up in the middle of the night and nobody knows I know and I I I have the ability to reach out to um to that higher power I have the ability to look up at that list of people who are up at that hour. I can make that phone call. I have to become honest and face myself. This is this is a real desire. This is to the utmost. And what am I going to do about this? I'm going to let my higher power come in and help me out because it is impossible to do this all on my own. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leah. Okay, Laura H., you're up. Good morning. This is Laura H. out of Chicago, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. I just want to share today, claim my spot here at this wonderful meeting. Thank you all for giving service. Um, The line that stuck out to me was the line about we thought we could control our drinking. Um, This just happened to me. I, you know, I live in my life doing what I need to do, taking the next correct action. I go to meetings. I sponsor. I have a sponsor. I use the tools. I call on vision for you all the time. And for whatever reason, because the brain is my brain, it's, it's not, it just is, I was you know, completing my food plan, and a thought came in that maybe I could try to reintroduce a certain item that you might find around summertime that could be sugar-free. And I don't do sugar-free, and I know that. And I actually entertained that thought for a moment, thinking, well, yeah, I've lost a lot of weight. Maybe I could have this item. And that's my that's my unwell thinking. That's my disease. And um, thank goodness I have people who I talk to and share, and I was able to share what I was experiencing. And so this disease of compulsive overeating, it is always going to be with me. I know that I'll never graduate, and I am so grateful that I have a place to call home. I have all of you. You inspire me. You teach me. 
you show me the way. And I just want to encourage everyone out there, um, these phone calls, these, these are our lifelines, but also to, you know, just to encourage everyone to carry the message. Last night I had the opportunity to go to a person's home who is homebound. This person has no more mobility because of our disease. And uh, it was powerful. And to carrying that message changed my life, and it continues to change my life. So if you're on these lines and you have recovery, I just want to encourage, encourage you to ask your HP, how can you carry this message? Do you need to get to face-to-face -face meetings? Do you need to go to a home meeting for somebody? I don't know. But it really is very helpful to me. So I'm just so grateful to be on this line. Thank you all. With that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Laura. Okay, so if you just joined us, we're on page 32, the first paragraph, though there is no way of proving it, and we read just that one paragraph, and we're commenting on that. Who would like to share? Katie G. from Boston. Diane from Larry K. Diane, Larry. Diane, I didn't get the initial of your last name. M, as in Michigan. Okay. Colleen M. Hey. Colleen M. Katie, did you get Katie G? I didn't hear if you did. Yes, I did. Okay. Thank you. Who else? Anyone else? Chris G in Connecticut. Chris G in Connecticut. Okay. Okay. So I have Katie G, Diane M, Larry K, Colleen M, and Chris G. Hi, Katie. Good morning, everyone. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic in Boston. And, you know, there might have been a few seconds that I had a desire to stop, but I'm, I, I like to get away with things like I don't really want to stop doing things until they're hurting me so much that I can't function. I have a really high tolerance for pain and and when I hit that pain level, I couldn't stop right or I could and for me, as I recovered anorexic and bulimic. I had to realize this wasn't about putting down the food and stop eating. This was about this entire um, compulsivity, this entire list of foods, ingredients, and behaviors that I use to solve my problems. So don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. Losing weight are not effective messages for someone who's an anorexic, who's a professional dieter, who's a professional exercise bulimic. And let me tell you, until the consequences of exercise bulimia were threatening my relationship, were threatening me potentially going to jail, um, I tolerated this behavior, I tolerated the consequences, I tolerated it, had no overpowering desire to stop because it was still feeding me. And what is me? My selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and fear. I want what I want when I want it. 
uh, and I want it yesterday, right? And so for me today, um, you know, it's really about surrendering. I have no food of choice. I, if I choose, if I, if I put those food ingredients and behaviors into my mouth, it ignites a phenomenon of craving that even if I haven't engaged in that food ingredient or behavior for a long time, I am off to the races no matter what, and I eat no matter what, and I starve no matter what, and I purge no matter what. And it's important for me to remember, you know, I, I can be really hard-headed, um, and that's why the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness of this program are so vital for me, right? Like, and thank you, God, as a recovered woman today, which means not that I'm cured, but it means that I'm not suffering from compulsive overeating. My ability to tolerate consequences for things like not doing a turnaround, for things like not, for things like lashing out at my husband, for things like dishonesty, I can't tolerate it anymore. And that's not because I'm a good person. It's because I like the effect produced by God today. And how do I get that effect? By staying entirely abstinent and being the steps of OA, right? Working on these every single day so that God can crack me open and, and create a channel. Um, what a privilege to be with all of you and share this joyful message. With that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Diane M., it's your turn, followed by Larry K. Hi, I'm Diane M. from Michigan, a gratefully recovering compulsive reader. And um, I don't share very often on the line, but I was prompted this morning to do that. Um, I didn't realize or didn't um, have knowledge of the fact that I was a compulsive overeater until my 20s. Um, my mother, a family of 11 children, my mother controlled every bite of food that went into our mouth. She dished out our food. There were no snacks. We weren't allowed to open up the refrigerator or a cupboard. That's just the way that it was. And um, so until I moved out of that house, uh, I, I began to experience compulsive reading and in, and in about three years really my I went to hell very quickly um, my first memory of trying to uh, control my food was I had gotten I was engaged got fitted for a wedding dress and promptly put on 20 pounds so two weeks before the wedding I went on my first diet um, with Adkins I lost 15 pounds by my wedding day and then quickly gained another 20 that first year, and I became a raging, um, crazy, binging, um, out-of-control eater. Um, I've been in recovery for about 40 years, and um, and I love, love, love this meeting. I, I had an experience a few years ago where I decided I would have uh, wedding cake at my only daughter's wedding, uh, made a conscious decision to do so, and started a seven-year binge. So I'm so grateful to be out of relapse, and um, I enjoy these meetings so much and just thank everybody for their incredible shares. I'm learning so much here. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Well, thank you so much, um, Diane and Larry Kay. You're up, followed by Colleen M. Good morning, Katie. Thanks so much for your service. Larry Kay uh, recovered uh, today, and, and thanks for everyone's share. You know, um, one one of the difficulties with with alcoholism or with with our with our disease 
is it just doesn't it, it, it doesn't um, seem like one. It doesn't seem like a disease. It doesn't look like a disease necessarily or sound or smell. And it certainly doesn't act like a disease to some extent for me. And so I had trouble identifying in with step one early on. And as long as I did, um, I would not seek out a spiritual solution if I didn't identify in and didn't understand my problem. Um, and to make matters worse, generally the denial that it exists um, gives rise to my resistance, right? I have, I have resistance to, to that. And where I feel resistance, I'm going to continue to fight and I'm going to continue to try to control. And in step one, I need to really get to a place where I understand that this is a chronic, progressive, and fatal disease. It doesn't matter where we start out, really, because I wanted to analyze and intellectualize where I started out because I wanted to be comparative and say, well, I, I'm not as bad as that person, or maybe I'm worse than that person. Maybe I'm going to exaggerate, or maybe I'm going to... What difference does it make? Does it really change the fact that this is a chronic, progressive, fatal disease? It doesn't change that for me. You know, in, in the AA 12 and 12, in, uh, you know, d discussing step one, it says by going back in our own drinking histories, look at your own eating history, we could show that years before we realized that we were out of control. Who cares to what extent you were out of control and when it happened exactly, if you look at your history? That our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression, fatal progression. It doesn't matter where we start out. There was a time when I could steal a Snickers bar in my dad, a candy bar, and go down to the, the stock room at my dad. My dad was a pharmacist, and that was enough. It didn't remain enough. And it, this disease progressed. And I could, I could be in denial. I can learn more about this, but the fact is, is what difference does it make? I can analyze that. I, why? Not, as long as I'm in, 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 in that analyzing, intellectualizing mode, I'm never, if I'm confronted with the, the problem, I'm never going to seek out the solution. And I'm going to continue to hold my breath underwater and think that that's, and, and that's my reality. So I don't believe in the recovered state because I have not experienced it. And thus, how dare you say that you have by the grace of God? But I have, by the grace of God, experienced this. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Colleen M., you're up, followed by Chris G. Hi, this is Colleen M. Um, thank you all for your service. This is uh, the way I start my day every morning, which is just such a gift from God to listen to all of you share. And what struck me about this uh, reading and which was the crooks for me as far as being able to do this thing, which I hope to be doing this for a lifetime, is uh, I lost my, first I had to concede to my inner self that I was a compulsive overeater, which wasn't too difficult because I was 120 pounds overweight and miserable. Pre-diabetic, high cholesterol, had to have my hip replaced due to my weight, um, just on and on. Um, it was pretty obvious. My kids were all, you know, complaining, Mom, we're worried about you. What are you doing? Um, I had, I couldn't, there was a time where I could control my eating, and I do remember those times, but it's been so long ago, 
and um, you know, my disease told me for multiple, multiple times that it was a good idea to. Uh, I remember listening to these meetings and people talking about being addicted to, to gum, and I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I had ever heard. Who could possibly be addicted to gum? Until that was the only thing left in my arsenal that I was allowing myself to have, and I was chewing three packs of gum a day, and my jaws were sore. Um, you know, this is, this is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and uh, it just starts in my mind. I today, my best thinking got me here, today I... I do not allow myself to be in charge of my food. I turn that over to a sponsor who has followed this path before me. And, uh, you know, I eat what she tells me to eat and the amount that she's told me to eat it. And I'm grateful for that today. I'm in a healthy body. I, have, I believe I'm in a healthy mind. And I've got the spiritual connection that I could not get anywhere else, which I've tried many places. And if I could have done this without coming here on a daily basis, I would have done it a long time ago. So thanks for letting me share. Have a great day. I'll pass. Thank you, Colleen. Okay, Chris G., it's your turn, and then we'll open it up for more shares. Hey, everybody. This is Chris G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Connecticut. So grateful to be on this line this morning. I, I really just, my heart was just craving this meeting, so I'm, I'm very grateful for everyone's service. Um, I have the disease of addiction, and it, sh it has greatly shown up in my life as food addiction, but it, it shows up in so many ways. It has shown up in so many ways. And in fact, I was like this paragraph with alcohol, but guess what? When I decided to stop drinking alcohol, food became my, my great addiction, and so unless I treat the disease of addiction, I will not be freed from my mental twist, which I call obsessive thinking and the need and, and self-centered thinking, nor will I be freed from my, from my compulsive behaviors in the many, many ways that they show up in my life. One of them and one frightening one is the food. And the food destroyed my life. It destroyed my life. And I spent decades trying to figure out ways to control it. And I definitely had the desire to stop, but I could not. And I don't, you know, I, I, this is a progressive disease. So, um, you know, maybe there was a time, you know, where I had brief periods where my desire helped me to stop for a while, but I always had the obsessive thinking and compulsive nature. Um, and so this disease, unless treated, this disease of addiction will always progress and reveal itself in many, many insidious ways in my life unless I find the solution. And my only solution after trekking what feels like across the entire world for a solution is my spiritual health and my connection with my higher power. And um, so that's what I commit to working on every day with as much humility and vigor as I can because I, I got to the place where I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to trek across the planet anymore looking for new cockamamie schemes to, to try to be free and give myself the illusion of control. 
I want to be free of this addiction, this addictive nature. And thank God that these steps provide me the pathway in order to do that on a daily basis. And I wake up today and I just, I've listened to all of you for a few years now and you've, you've given me so much and I try to just do what you've done and do what my sponsor has told me to do. And, and gratefully, I get to wake up today and sit in prayer and meditation and to look at my day ahead and I'm try me. to dedicate it to God. And I'm so grateful. And thank you all for letting me share. Have a great day. Thank you, Chris. Okay, so um, if you've just joined us, we're on page 32, the first paragraph, though there's no way of proving it. And um, who else would like to share? Anita L. Anita L. And Rowena M. Jason K. Kathy G. Kathy G. Erin. Erin, what was your initial? Oh, it's Erin from um, North of Boston. Okay, the first initial of your last name? Oh, M. 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 Okay. Okay, that's great. Anita L., Rowena, I'm not sure the initial, Jason K., Kathy G., and Erin M. Go ahead, please, Anita. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia, home today from a very spiritual vacation in the Grand Tetons in Yellowstone National Park. And uh, being away, uh... Anita, we can't hear you. Star one, please. Hi, this is Anita L. I'm talking away. I thought you could hear me. Can you hear me now? We heard the beginning, but that just that you went on a spiritual retreat, so please continue. Oh. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead. I went I went on a vacation with my husband and my my sisters and their husbands and went to uh, a very spiritual place out in Wyoming National Parks and I think that that helped me to uh be true to my disease and respect the fact that I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you, dear God, recovered. I feel like I have made that shift, that transition in my thinking um, and my behaviors that I was able to go to this place, be on vacation for eight days with family, not have a perfect time. However, live such a true, honest, respectful life to my disease and my recovery and to act with integrity and grace um, while I was there and to feel the love of my higher power. And it's possible to go anywhere, a free woman, anywhere on this earth, as long as I can uh, surrender on a daily basis to my higher power and be true and honest with myself, with my food 
and, uh, you know, do the work. And I find that the, the longer I'm in program and the more I live in recovery, the more work I have to do. I mean, I've been in OA for decades and uh, many decades. And in the beginning, I went to one meeting a week. It was kind of like I felt that that that's what you do like when you go to a weight loss program where you go in and you get weighed once a week. However, I've been guided and shown um, that throughout the years, as I recover more, and now I truly believe in my soul that I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I used to feel a little bit timid to say that and like arrogant. How can you say that? You're not, I'm not cured. However, the shift in my thinking and my acting Time, please. is so different. Thank you, higher power, and thank you to this group. I pass. Thank you, Anita and Rowena. It's your turn, followed by Jason Kay. Did I hear Rowena? Hi, good morning. This is Rowena M. in New York. Rowena, grateful to be on the line. It's okay. (laughs) There is a Rowena. It's okay. Um, So I really love this paragraph because it makes me think of all of the diets I went on throughout my life. Like I started dieting when I was like seven or eight years old. And I remember when I was younger, it was so much easier for me to stay on a diet. And, you know, I I had like, you know, I could be on the diet for like almost a year at times. And, you know, if I had stopped ingesting my alcoholic food earlier on, I probably wouldn't have had all the yo-yoing that I had. But because I kept going back, because I kept having that desire to continue going back and getting that that I was getting from the food, I did have a really hard time, and it got progressively worse. And there's no way I could go on a diet for the period of time now that I used to be able to go on a diet. And I've always known that I've had issues with food. I've had issues with food since I was born. But I never understood how much it was I was using it to take me out of life because I didn't know how to be in life. I didn't know how to handle life. And I didn't want to be in life. I was very unhappy. And so the food was my escape. The food was my salvation. And it worked until it stopped working. And the effect, you know, my body would get immune to the effect. So I would have to use more and more food to keep getting that same effect. And so then it just kept getting worse and worse. It kept getting more and more progressive. And, you know, yeah, like I said, I could have stopped sooner on before the disease progressed to where it is now. But I didn't have, I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't look at it the same way then that I do now. And so, um, but I was definitely, I've always been an addict, not just with food, with everything. And so, I see the progressive nature of my illness, and I know today that the effect of the food does not provide for me 
what it used to provide for me. And it's much more dangerous. It's much more harmful. And I and I can't use it today because it'll just kill me. Um, that's all I wanted to share. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Roanne. Okay, Jason, you're up, followed by Kathy G. Jason K. Good morning. This is Jason K., recovered compulsive eater and bulimic outside of Philadelphia. And uh, I was thinking of this for some reason uh, this morning in the shower. And I had a friend when I was in my 20s, and, you know, we were eating out, and she said something like, you need to get your food in order, and I, I bet, you know, you would benefit from, you know, a new type of diet and just different eating habits. And I was just looking at her like, what is she talking about? She's crazy. Um, because I think the food was still working for me. And while the food is still working and, and, you know, like our previous speaker said, just giving me that effect, you know, I was chasing that effect. And like in Bill's story, he's talking about, you know, this behavior, the, the chasing, in his case, the alcohol, in my case, the food, you know, took on this exhilarating um, part in our life and, and a, a central part. You know, more and more, my behavior in my life was, you know, built around those binges, those specific foods, my special, special foods, you know, that gave me this great effect. And as long as that was working for me, I, I really didn't want to give it up. And then as, you know, the, the disease progresses and progressed in me, um, by the time the, the consequences were getting bad enough uh, that I started to want to stop, uh, I, I didn't have the power you know, and, and it goes through this gray area where I, I, the consequences are really bad, but the effect is still elusive and interesting and, and alluring. Uh, and then it gets to a point where it's absolutely terrible and I want to stop and I, and I can't. So this is the progression of the disease. And, you know, if you're looking at this paragraph now, and you know, the, the, the invitation is to identify in, you know, to look at your own history of food, to see if you resonate with what I'm saying or what other speakers are saying, uh, and understanding this, this, this disease. And although it sounds like a hopeless, uh, defeating proposition to look, you know, the fact that we're in the grips of this progressive disease, um, that our mind is warped, you know, that we chase the effect and we don't want to stop. Maybe we would have been able to. And then when we want to stop, we can't. Although it sounds terribly hopeless, the, the hope in this is, we can recover, and we have many, many, many on this line have recovered. We don't have to suffer from this today. We live a day, uh, a life of, of, of freedom, of joy, a happy, contented, youthful life, um, happily, happily sober, uh, and that's the uh, the promise today. Um, so I'm happy just to be here and participate in my recovery and share in the battle path. Thank you, Jason. Okay, Kathy G, you're up, followed by Aaron M. All right, thanks so much, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's Kathy G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Illinois. And I wanted to share this morning because as I read this, I thought, well, maybe I could have stopped overeating. Maybe I could have stopped binging and purging. But the fact is, I didn't. And I didn't probably because I grew up in an alcoholic home and my mother was a compulsive overeater and I had been modeled some of these behaviors and coping skills in my life and I just kind of picked up the torch 
And how interesting like to think, like, what would my life have been like had I actually stopped? Like, maybe I would have had to have grown up more emotionally. I think what happens when we make choices that keep us from the natural consequences of our behavior, especially um, in bulimia, is that we just get really stunted emotionally. And I also wanted to talk for a minute this morning because I think it's really important for the newcomer to know that for those of us who are recovered, as we say, from having worked the steps and having had a spiritual awakening and are definitely living a new life, I just also want to speak to the painful times and the seasons that are really hard because I'm only coming up on two years abstinent, but I'm 58 years old. So I had all of these years of my life where I was in these patterns of not going into the depths of emotional pain or really having to get to some painful roots or look at some things I didn't want to. And so I chose to use food to take the edge off of those feelings. So now that that's not an option, I'm in a season right now where I'm in some deep emotional pain. But the thing that makes me so grateful today is that I have tools, I have you, I have steps, I have things that I can do. And it it kind of thrills me that I have never been in this much pain for this long without eating. And I wanted to speak because I could have been a person on the line who would have been like, I've been abstinent for so long, but now I'm in relapse. And I want to speak because I don't have to make that choice today. I can show up and be here and be in pain and move forward. And I know that it will lift in time. So thanks so much for letting me share. Hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. And we have two minutes, Erin, for your last share. You'll be our last share today. Aaron M. Aaron M. Star one to unmute. Okay, it's Aaron M. Um, okay. Okay. Great. So I was just thinking that um, that few have the desire while there is still yet time, and that was definitely me. I first came in um, well to AA first, and it, and I heard that. Then, I can't remember from who, but there are like three obstacles to recovery, youth, wealth, and brains. And I had all three, except the wealth. Um, uh, but I did have access, you know, insurance to access treatments. But I, I said to myself, at 21, I'm definitely not stopping drinking. How can I possibly do that? Um, and then when I, that's when I came in to OA, and they said, you can't drink. It's not on your food plan. And I had a fit. Um, but also brains too. I had a degree in science. I have a degree in science, and um, I had a great job. And so I thought I should be able to figure this out. But um, early on, I um, I was able to like I I would be able to apply rules. You know, purging only on weekends, no eating at certain times. My weight was not to be above a certain number, and that number progressively went lower and lower and lower and lower until it was. You know, um, you can't go above 72 pounds. You need to get, you know, it's time to get into the 60s. So other people do it. You can do it too. You're very good at being, a, um, you're very, whatever you, whatever I do, I do to the extreme, 
whether it's, um, you know, I ran a smoking group at a hospital in Marlboro for alcoholics, and um, a guy in there said, I can quit, no problem, I quit a hundred times. And everyone started laughing, and I thought, it's the same thing, you know, this, I can quit too, I just can't stay stopped. So, um, anyway, I just, I think I was born with a predispos- predisposition for addiction, you know, my parents, both addicts. And so um, it's like being given a loaded gun, and then um, then an event or, or several events happen that put the bullet in the chamber, and once I pull the trigger, I can't get it back. I mean, my Uncle Tommy, who was very successful, worked for the government, you know, got a, got a handshake from Bill Clinton and such. Um, he came down when I was young, and he knelt down next to me, and I was very thin. I was a gymnast, and he said, and when look around the family. They're all so big. Please promise me you will not let yourself get that, and click a switch was there's a several of them over my life but that, that was one of them it was a big click that i said um no i won't i'd rather be dead than fat time, time, please. okay well anyway um but in recovery i i have the same drive if i put it in the right place it will take me somewhere thank you thank you so much to everyone who shared this morning and helped to make this meeting possible and now um uh let's see thank you Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, June 11, 2019, is 13,020. That's 13020. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lisa B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.